0: dreams. We have them, often, and almost as often we don't remember them. But sometimes one might stick with us for a little bit, and change our perspective, even the slightest, on our waking whereabouts. Maybe it was its especially weird nature, or on the contrary, its blatant banality. Maybe it was the total surrender of control, or the realization that something is just… not quite right.
1: Given the breadth of possibilities we face in dreams, and given their intrinsic intimate nature, we may never reach a consensus on what they are, what they mean, and why they happen. But by setting focus on how we experience dreams, we may learn something more general about human cognition.
0: How do we experience dreams? And what sort of experiences are common across individuals and cultures?
1: What sort of neural and cognitive processes are at work? What makes dreaming different from memory? Or imagination.
0: But most importantly, if I dream of Harrison Ford, am I Harrison Ford?
1: In this bonus episode, we are visited by Melanie Rosen, philosopher, dream researcher, and longtime friend of the IMC, to discuss the phenomenology of dreams. My name is Savannah. And I'm Arno. And this is the Interacting Minds podcast. Welcome, Mel. Hi. Mel is an old-time favorite at the IMC. She used to be here for two or three years. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Did I
2: make that little impression on you?
1: <laughs> no, you made a lasting impression on us, and we're all very glad to have you back um, visiting us from Canada for a week. For those of us who don't know you that well, which may be the wrong question to ask a philosopher, mm-hmm. who are you?
2: Well, that's a very deep and difficult. Who is anybody? But in a more shallow sense, I'm Mel Rosen. I'm a philosopher from Trent University in Peterborough, Canada. I do research
0: about sleep. And can you do philosophy while sleeping through dreams?
2: I would say your ability to philosophy, f- philosophize while you're dreaming is probably highly reduced because of lack of cognitive abilities such as metacognition, memory, and generally, what I like to call "dumb dream brain."
0: Dumb dream brain. Yeah,
2: that's a technical term.
0: Yeah, maybe you'd have to elaborate on that. Oh,
2: I see. <laughs> well, <laughs> so some might argue, you know, we, we're we're all dreaming right now, which so all of us have dumb dream brain. But assuming we're awake, dumb dream brain is the fact that um, we have highly reduced cognitive capacities. Uh, while dreaming, at least some cognitive capacities. Arguably, sometimes we lack any ability to reflect on what's going on in the dream. Uh, So metacognition is the ability to um, think about one's thoughts. Uh, So Uh, Some people uh, argue that the reason we don't realize we're dreaming when we're dreaming most of the time is because uh, we just lack any reflective capacity. Uh, We're Mm. less rational, uh, less intelligent in general. Our access to our memories from waking is highly reduced. Um, And you you can, uh, I guess, you can call it confabulate false memories or Mm. false knowledge. So you might believe ridiculous things, to the extent where some people have described dreaming as being like a delusion, a delusional state, where you believe ridiculous things, um, you're not surprised by bizarre happenings, and and so on.
0: Just for the space of one night.
2: Yeah, so your dreams might only last a, a couple of minutes, and uh, so you can have a very uh, short period of time in which you are very unaware of how ridiculous everything is.
0: Okay. So sometimes when I dream, Mm -hmm. I can feel like a lifetime is passing. Other times it might feel like just five minutes. Mm -hmm. How does dream time work?
2: Well, so that's a tricky question because, okay, so there's a few layers to that uh, question. So you can ask how long uh, do dreams last in Objective time, Hmm. to the extent that there is objective time, let's assume objective time is how a clock is ticking when, you know, in the real world. Um, So your dream kind of sessions tend to coincide with um, uh, rapid eye movement sleep, uh, which is the period of sleep in which, um, some people refer to it as paradoxical sleep, you're paralyzed, but your eyes are moving back and forth really quickly. Um, Your brain activation um, um, is heightened in some sense. So your um, perceptual uh, capacities, your senses are heightened. You hallucinate, Um, but other capacities, as I said, your cognitive abilities are reduced. Um, So those are the stages of sleep where dreams stereotypically happen, or if you wake people up during the sleep, you'll get a dream report nearly all the time like 90% of the time um and assuming that your dream lasts for the rem stage uh, those stages get longer as the night progresses so your rem stages might last only a few minutes to start off with and then you know early in the morning before waking up it could be 90 minutes so you could have a dream that lasts for for 90 minutes uh but if you if you're thinking your dream is lasting for what did you say for much longer than um it's probably a uh, subjective time rather than um objective time so you have the feeling that you're you've been in this place for a long time uh when i mean you you certainly haven't <laughs> in, in in your dream world you haven't been there for well if it's a long one it'll be a 90 minute dream um but certainly uh if you're thinking inception type uh so the you have of course you've both seen the movie inception uh where they talk about having going down different levels of dreams and the time uh lasting longer and longer um mm. uh, that's certainly not not, it's a, not a good model of not, not and a dreaming. not a… well i mean okay so we can forgive Inception for not <laughs> being entirely accurate about dream.
0: Let's just blame dream Leonardo phenomenon. DiCaprio.
1: <laughs> it was a fun movie. <laughs> Good idea. But uh, I think there's a lot of more. So, preparing today for this episode, I Googled dreams and I think spiders or something. Mm-hmm. And okay. it immediately gave me the suggestion what is a spider about when I dream about it? So, I think there's this. So, my puzzle for you is what is dream research? Because there's this whole Freudian Mm. wonder world, um, psychoanalysis of dreams, but that's not what you do.
2: Yeah. So I, um, I can't comment too much on Freudian analysis. I'm not uh, very knowledgeable about it. Um, So I could also say I'm somewhat skeptical about it, which might uh, rub people the wrong way. Uh, But so, so let's say, I can only give you my opinion on, let's say, the analysis of uh, symbols in dreams. So, oh. um, you yeah, know, you dream about a spider. I moved to Australia. this That's where I, I did my PhD. And travel makes me anxious. And, you know, there's really large spiders in Australia. So I remember this clearly. The first week that I moved there, I had this dream uh, where Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, was throwing spiders at me. It was a nightmare and it caused me to wake up. And you could say, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that seems a hyper stereotypical dream. Um, so what does all that mean? Does that mean I was anxious and afraid of spiders? Um, and thinking a lot about, um, you know, mo- Australia and moving and anxiety and stuff? Sure. Um, could I have told you that? without the dream? Sure. (laughs) So do do dreams reflect your waking concerns and your waking experiences? Yeah, that seems highly plausible. So that's known as the continuity theory of dreams, that dreams reflect your, yeah, your waking concerns, exactly as I just said. If you have a certain experience while you're awake, um, it can pop up in your dreams, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to deny that 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 can happen, and there's research regarding how that happens, to to what extent it happens, when it happens. So, for example, something happens that day, do you dream about it that night? Less likely, actually. You're more likely to dream about it in two days. So, today, spider drops on your face. You're more likely to dream about spiders in two days. Um, So, So the research suggests there's this kind of bell-shaped curve of incorporation of elements from waking into dreams. So uh, night one, night two, you're less likely to dream about your spider-dropping incident. (laughs) Night three, night four, night five, that increases your chances of dreaming about spiders and then kind of drops off. So you get this kind of seven-day likelihood that things get incorporated. So that's very interesting. That does really suggest that things make it into your dream from the day, um, suggesting there's continuity between waking and sleeping, um, but there's also discontinuity. So yeah, I've, I've never been, been entirely convinced by the continuity theory as a theory of what happens in dreams because it seems a highly accurate description of what can happen in dreams or what sometimes happens. Um, also, there's discontinuity theory, which also describes a lot of what happens in dreams. If you were a continuity theorist, how would you account for dream bizarreness? So, um, let's say, you know, I guess a spider dropping on your face is bizarre. This brings up philosophical issues of
0: what what does depends b- where you're from.
2: What does bizarre <laughs> mean? Yeah, so spiders don't drop on my face very often. That would be for me an unusual occurrence what about an impossible event happening? A spider goes on your face and then um expands to the size of a person and then crawls away. So, something impossible happening, you can dream about that. Um That doesn't reflect reality unless you're going to have some kind of theory of, oh, it flex- reflects something else about your waking life. So not something you would experience on a day-to-day basis, but it might reflect something you think. So your mind-wandering and you think about an expanding spider, you know, going around eating people. So what's a, a way you could um, use the continuity theory to explain that? You could say, well, that spider may be something I thought about during the day. Uh, well, it could be something I forgot that I thought about and it just got in there. Or it could be something deeper, so some unconscious thing. Um, what if it's something really weird? I wake up and I'm like, what was that all about? Then you could potentially bring in into the argument. Um, well, that was some kind of reflection of subconscious or unconscious workings of my mind, and I can't disprove that. You could say something about that, like, oh, I had a dream in which, you know, my limbs turned into eels. What is my eel arm dream about to you?
1: There is a famous thing in German, Northern German, um, mm. folk, what are they called? Like Oktoberfest, just in the north of Germany, essentially, easiest way to explain it. And there's something called eel, like die rolling to win an eel. It's a very famous game in my hometown. So it immediately made me think about that.
2: So so your so eel some... folktale, like a folktale? Or uh um, Yeah
1: connecting to childhood. I think uh-huh. also it might have some like dye elements like immediately make connections to past experiences.
2: Okay. So you So
0: maybe you drank too much beer or <laughs> you're really waiting for Oktoberfest.
2: So it's like uh, it's your it's a childhood nostalgia dream, maybe. Yeah,
1: like if if I was looking for symbolism. I guess I would look for symbolism there with connections to the past. Mm-hmm. I'm from the north coast. There's mm-hmm. some fish connections it might be reaching out to the to my parents to mm-hmm. to family.
0: But are you thinking of it like it's your own dream or like it's her dream? Oh, I'm well,
2: thinking about it. My exact- dream. Too. Th- okay. This oh, is exactly it. the point, right? I came up with some random thing yeah. and you came up with a like really plausible, like, Oh, there's an eel festival. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that seems like really fitting, right? Yeah. I made up something. And if I asked you, Oh, what does, you know, my eel, my, your arms turning into eels mean to you? And, you know, it, it brings something to mind. So that's totally, um, that seems like a, a potentially helpful um, way of thinking about something, like it's, um, you know, free association. Free association. Okay, um, maybe that can bring up to mind uh, pleasant memories or maybe a negative memory that you can, I don't know, do some kind of psychological work, but I, I'm not knowledgeable about that. But, um, yeah, in my view, the, the dream itself is not meaningful. You can get meaning out of it. Like you, you know, we both watch the same movie. It means one thing to you. It means something else to me. And, and, you know, the movie itself doesn't, doesn't have that meaning. We have our own meaning. So, um, if the, if the dream itself has some kind of meaningful symbolism, I think it's very difficult to, to prove or disprove that. Um, so I would say that, um, to the extent that dream analysis is Valuable in some kind of psychological sense. That doesn't tell us something about dreams, about you know, a function of dreams or what dreams mean. Really, it's it's more about you getting meaning from things. We're we're meaning making machines, right? As humans, <laughs> so you can you can find meaning, but that doesn't necessarily mean the the dream has meaning. But you could say, but what about your your um spider dream? You're dreaming about spiders. You were anxious about spiders. Um, you were anxious about moving to Australia. It seems like all your anxieties popped up in the dream. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. In that case, I can really say I had those anxieties. Um, they made they popped up into a dream in a really obvious way, which I can make a clear link, um, but not in a way, not in a mysterious way that reveals something I didn't know already, you know. So the more... Um, you kind of dig into a a symbolic nature of dreams, the less likely it is that the dream is going to be about something itself in some symbolic way, and the more likely it is that your waking brain is making some kind of meaning out of that story. And the reason I say that, you might say, well, couldn't it be the case that everything is some kind of symbol? Possibly. But it's also the case that random things pop up. So um, you have, um, well... So you can say, talking about random neural activation is not, you know, it's not, there's not really random neural activation. Random neural activation would be a seizure. So what exactly does that mean? But you have some kind of unusual neural activation that um, generates a um, random or unusual, bizarre image that doesn't really have any deep symbolic meaning. It's not coming up from your unconscious. Rather, it's just being generated in a semi-random
0: way. And it's somehow structured because your life has structure mm-hmm. and your brain has structures that mm-hmm. reflects your life. So,
2: But yeah, so structure is tricky because you can have more or less structure depending on the experience. I think there's reason to believe that some dream experiences might be incomprehensible. So completely... unknowable, ununderstandable um, to the waking brain. But those can't be reported and can't be remembered. So some kind of really, really bizarre kind of bringing together of multi-sensory stimulus that doesn't have any structure or narrative, you won't remember or report that. You might have a sense that something weird just happened. And I've, I've woken up from dreams and gone, oh, this, I just had something really weird, but it kind of, it doesn't stay in your memory it you can not you need a you need the narrative to be able to remember the experience if there's no narrative and you said something like oh well i had the sensation of um pressure in my hand and then i don't know blue light and i mean you, i guess you could try to report that but it's much more difficult to report some r- weird um incomprehensible sensations than Oh, I was walking down the street and I saw a giant spider, you know, some kind of narrative structure. Um, because we're better at narratives.
1: When do we remember dreams? So mm. other people are better than others at remembering dreams?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um so one question we can ask is who dreams? in the first place. And to my knowledge, that's nearly everybody. I believe you ha- there's a very rare condition caused by um, lesions that prevents dreaming. But people who believe they don't dream tend to just fail to remember their dreams. So I very rarely mem- remember my dreams, ironically. Um, <laughs> uh, my partner remembers multiple dreams. And I- so how much do we dream, we can ask. We can kind of indirectly guess, well, not not quite guess, but indirectly know how much we we dream by um, these experiments where people are woken up from different stages of sleep. So, as I said before, REM sleep, you're going to report a dream if woken up in the right circumstances, meaning there's a researcher um, who wakes you up at the right stage and asks you, what were you dreaming? Um, They tend to get reports around 90% of the time. Um, From other stages of sleep, it's up to 40%. Which isn't insignificant. It's much less, but it's, that's pretty common. So let's say 30% of the time you report a dream from a light stage of sleep or, or even you know, deep st- sleep. You have all these different stages. Um, that's still a lot of dreams happening. So if you have, I don't know, four to six, uh, REM stages per night, that's, you know, up to four to six dreams just happening in those stages. And then you could be having dreams in other stages as well. Mm-hmm. You could have like at a, You know, a low guess five dreams, you could have ten or more dreams in the night. And if you're me, you might remember one every couple of months. Um, So I'm forgetting a lot of experiences that I have. Why do some people remember them better than than others? It might be to do with um, when you tend to wake up from sleep. So if you wake up directly from a dream, you're more likely to remember it. Um, I find that if my sleep is disrupted, I might remember more than one dream in a night. So disruption from sleep can can in, improve your memory, waking up in the right period. There's a wide variety in how mm-hmm. good people are at remembering things in their waking life. There's also a, a individual difference in, in dream memory. So um, a very famous um, neuroscientist in dreams, Alan Hobson, um, would keep a dream diary, and every time he would remember a dream, he'd write it down, and he said he would remember a dream maybe every month or so. So, highly motivated to capture his dreams, but um if you compare his average memory to my partner, whose only motivation for reporting dreams is because I do dream research, <laughs> and he's like, oh, she'll be interested in this dream, um he'll remember two dreams, at least a dream every night, sometimes several. So, it just seems there's a lot of individual variation. But yeah, you can improve your your dream memory um, using s- several different techniques that are related to lucid dream, which is when very simply you realize that you're dreaming. Right now I'm sitting here and talking to you guys and I'm not really thinking about is this real or not. I guess I'm naively assuming that what is happening is awake.
0: So it's dreaming without the dumb dream brain?
2: Almost. So, you, are, you have gained an insight, but you haven't necessarily gained waking levels of insight. So, so um, in research, it's considered to be a lucid dream when you realize you're dreaming, um, so you have one insight. But that doesn't necessarily mean you are good at all the stuff. So, dream lucid dreaming is commonly associated with, like, being able to control the dream better, having greater access to memories, having greater access to metacognition. Clearly, you need some level of metacognition to think, hmm, this might be a dream. Oh, yeah, it is a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that right now is a type of metacognition. I'm sitting here I'm um, going, oh, um, I'm talking about dreaming. I'm talking about lucid dreaming. Could this be a dream? How would I work out if this was a dream? Now I'm going to try to levitate, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, no, it's not working things seem pretty stable and normal, I'm pretty sure I'm awake. So so when you're lucid dreaming, you often have heightened um reflective and other capacities that we tend to have reduced in sleep, but you might not. So you might have that individual insight, ah, I'm dreaming, but also not understand the implications of that. So you might realize you're dreaming, but still be worried about people what people think about you. A real example from, from memory that I read in literature was somebody cheating at a card game and then suddenly realizing that they were dreaming, but still being worried about um, the people at the table realizing that they were cheating. So if you had full insight, you would presumably realize it didn't matter if somebody caught you cheating. So generally, lucid dreaming is associated with heightened um, other capacities, but it works the other way around. So um, it's, it wouldn't be accurate to say lucid dreaming, you know, smart wake brain, non-lucid dreaming, dumb dream brain. Um statistically, yes, you're more likely to be on a spectrum of, <laughs> let's say, intellect or mm-hmm. capacities, but you could have smart waking brain while you're in a dream and not realize it's a dream. Just because it's a pretty realistic dream, so you go about, you wake up. I've had these uh, false awakenings; they're called. You you wake up in yep. bed, you think you've woken up. You get up, you think, "Oh, what do I have to do today?" Um, okay, well, the first task was to answer my emails. You go and you answer some emails, and nothing weird happens. Your room looks normal. Um, you you maybe even get a couple of tasks done, and then later you wake up and realize, "Ugh." I just wasted. I could be, I could have been doing something fun then. I could have been flying around. But instead I went and got work done and it didn't even get done because now I still have to answer those damned emails. <laughs> so intellectual capacity is pretty high in that case. You, you think about what you have to do. Um, you, you have a plausible belief that you're awake because well, you know, where you've just woken up or it seems like you've just woken up and you start getting getting done some, well, believing you're getting done some of the tasks, which shows a high memory capacity. So there's no clear distinction between lucid dreaming and non-lucid dreaming other than the fact that in one you realize you're dreaming and the other you're not. Other, All the other cognitive differences are statistical. It's more likely mm-hmm. that you have these capacities when you're lucid.
1: So I'm imagining these situations right now. Like I'm, mm. I'm awakening and, and the puzzle that's coming up for me is what is rational and fictional in dreams. Mm. So we have bizarre dreams. Let's use that word for now. Where things don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Emotions. Experiences. Visual stuff might just like things might enlarge even though they couldn't realistically in our own world. Mm. What is the fit of reality onto dreams and vice versa?
2: So that stereotype is dreams are bizarre and there's, Pigs flying all over the place. Things are morphing around. And there's different approaches and different terminology. But one, one way of describing uh, a type of bizarreness is binding failure. So let's say your, your uh, visual representation of the scene, not just visual, but multi-sensory representation. But let's keep it to visual for simplicity. You look at a grape and um, it has a color. So you have the binding between the shape and the color and, and texture and uh, all those features come together to give you your experience with that object. Um, you also have the way it touches if you're feeling it and taste and so on. And you have emotions in relation to things. So one type of bizarreness is that um, you have a, an unusual binding of features or uh, a yeah, mismatching um, binding. So having the wrong emotion, let's say. Let's call it an unfitting un- emotion in response to, so I see that grape and I hate it presuming that i don't have a good reason to to be angry at the grape uh, but you could have like a um inappropriately colored grape that the stereotype is there's all these kind of bizarre things happening you have sh- uh, temporal shifts so currently it's now let's say and we go back in time or we shift to another scene somewhere else um or somebody's somebody changes like you become him, you've got to swap somehow. Those are actually occasional features of dreams. So according to some theorists, dreams are actually more likely to be mundane. And the reason it appears to be the case that dreams are really bizarre all the time is that we have a um biased sample towards bizarre dreams. So let's say you're having an experiment where you're collecting dreams and you're getting people to make um dream diaries and submit them and put them in a database. Uh, Those dreams are more likely to be the ones that happen later in the morning um, because you're more likely to remember the ones that you've just woken up from. And they're also likely to be more bizarre because dreams tend to get more bizarre over the night. So an early dream is less likely to be bizarre than a later dream, and also you're more likely to remember those bizarre ones. So um, boring dreams are just less memorable. Walking down the street, I go to get milk, forget. Um, So there's all sorts of biases towards remembering the bizarre ones, and if we have an experiment in which we're waking people up, as I said before, from REM at different stages, including NREM stages... Um you're, you find out there's many more doing something boring. Dreams. Then again, how do you judge what's bizarre? Because that's subjective. So you know where you know where is somewhere where spiders fall on your face all the time. If you're camping, <laughs> spiders falling on your face is way more common than if you were walking around here in a you know a giant plate-sized spider was to fall on your face and you believe you're at the IMC in Denmark, that would be really bizarre. But if you're camping in Australia, then it's slightly less bizarre. <laughs> for oh. a, a giant spider the size of my face has not fallen on, on my face, which is partly why I'm still alive today, because
1: I would probably have a heart attack. So in books, mm-hmm. we build up fictional worlds and there we create an alternative universe. Where there's other rules in our own universe, mm. but they're still st- rational in the way that they're following the rule system. How is that applied to dreams? Because ah. I could have a world where everyone is flying in my dream. And as long as that is consistent, that might feel like a very non-bizarre thing until I might experience something that mismatches that. Yeah.
2: So context is very important. A bizarre thing for me might be a non-bizarre thing for you, but also let's say you're watching um, a sci-fi and the first few minutes when you're watching the sci-fi, you're working out what are the rules to this world, and then later on, you know, there's spaceships everywhere or, or you know, people have telepathic abilities. That's, you know, that's in-world logic. Um, what about dreams? Well, it depends on what you think people believe in dreams. So if I believe I'm awake or in some tacit sense, let's say, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm awake, I'm awake, but you're just going about your, your day, you're going about your dream as if you're awake, Um, under that assumption, the in-dream logic shouldn't apply because then you should realize you're dreaming more often. So the realization we're dreaming is very rare. If something was to happen that's dream logic, for you to not think that that was bizarre, you would have to realize it was dream logic or you'd have to realize it was another world. So saying, well, you know, talking about dream logic or, uh, uh, you know, dream bizarreness... Um, we could reinterpret things to be not bizarre because they're just normal in a dream. Well, it all depends on (laughs) if you, if you think you're dreaming at the time. So it actually kind of works the other way around. If you're lucid, you're, as I said before, you're more likely to have all these cognitive capacities. You're lucid and you see something bizarre. You're more likely to realize it's bizarre. Um, you realize it's a dream. And you don't think, oh, it's a dream, so that's normal. You still think, oh, that's a dream, but that's a weird thing to happen. And in fact, um, bizarre events is is one of the um, ways people become lucid. They suddenly realize, hey, that's really weird.
0: To to keep with the novel analogy, I'm mm-hmm. wondering about point of view in dreams. First person perspective.
2: Type yeah, first of point person,
0: of view? second person, third mm-hmm. person. A
2: fun element of dreaming is that you're not necessarily Perceiving the dream from your eye. When you go about your day, you're, you're looking from your first person perspective, which is from your own eyes. Um, and usually that happens, uh, when you're, when you think back, you remember something that happens. You remember that I was looking from this angle mm-hmm. on this scene. And also in dreams, you're more likely to be walking around, you're looking from the normal perspective, but sometimes you might be looking down on yourself. Interesting thing is is sometimes memory can be represented that way. You can yeah see from a disembodied perspective. You might not be in the narrative of the dream. You might just be observing what's mm-hmm. going on. You might be looking down at yourself or you, scare quotes, might not be you. You might be someone else. What exactly that means, I have a, a paper with uh, John Sutton, my PhD supervisor, about this. The person who experiences the dream from the first-person perspective, to be neutral about who it is, we'll call that person the protagonist. The protagonist might be a famous character or, you know, a different gender or look different, like non-human, um, inanimate object, respond differently to the surrounding environment than you would if it was if it was you have different memories so have presumably false memories if it was you but you know confabulated memories they don't have access to your memories so depending on your theory of personal identity so what makes you persist over time you might want to argue and i I want to argue that some of these protagonists are not you. They are very shortly lived individuals, conscious beings that are housed in your brain, (laughs) but not you. Hot (laughs) takes. (laughs) Hot take. (laughs) So isn't it sad that statistically in terms of the amount of dreams that are reported, these are pretty rare, but there are billions of people having dreams many times per night, the brains are generating lots of shortly lived conscious beings that you don't remember and they don't remember you and they pop in and out of existence. Isn't that sad?
1: How about recurring dreams? Mm-hmm. So I have the same dream. I'm, I don't know, this really makes me to stay with our kind of movie quoting um, in Harry Potter, we have the pensive. So I can enter <laughs> a memory from someone else or mm-hmm. my own memory from an outsider's perspective. Many people report in dream reports that you've been looking at, having the same dream, like mm, walking down again. a corridor, I think is the most classic one, and mm. there's many doors. Or yeah. re-having the same exam, oral exam.
2: So I think uh, recurring dreams are often nightmares and they're more common in, in children. So yeah, when I was a child, I used to have some recurring dreams that weren't nightmares and one I can remember that was a really scary nightmare but the content wasn't scary, binding failure again, so <laughs> terrified of pushing a, tro- a shopping uh, trolley down a- an aisle. Um, so, uh, yeah, r- repeating of events is a relatively rare occurrence. It's m- more associated with, with childhood. It's also more associated with trauma. So, um, some people talk about the, the resources, the relationship between memory resources and dream content. And do dreams, uh, replay memories? And the answer is very rarely. I, w- my answer would be you need a little bit more nuance because even a, a dream that replays a memory doesn't really replay a memory the way a memory represents an event. Okay, so let's say you have a traumatic event, you're in a car crash, and you remember that car crash very vividly, and then you dream of having the exact same car crash, and you have a um, recurring dream. You're not actually remembering the car crash, you're reliving a, you're, you're in a virtual reality. Okay. This goes, this goes back into our theory of dreams. So that's something we had to talk about. What exactly does it mean to dream? So assume, assuming the received view, the, the common view of dreams that they're virtual reality like simulations or hallucinations. If we were awake and we relived a memory, it would be like suddenly being back there. So. If I was to right now hallucinate that I was in a car crash, that would be, that's very different from what we call phenomenology, the experience of replaying a memory of being in a car crash, which you could say maybe is more like imagining than perceiving. But in, in a dream, you're perceiving being back there. So you're kind of, you have this um, unusual drawing on memory resources to generate the experience, but the experience itself is not a memory, it's it's a hallucination. So there's this kind of weird, like, I, I would say talking about dreams replaying memories is interesting, but not quite accurate. It's like replaying a virtual reality based on a memory, <laughs> if that makes sense. However, um if your view of dreams is that they're more like imaginations, which is one theory of dreams, then you might be more of the view that they, that some dreams do replay memories Um so so the issue of phenomenology, the issue of what is the nature of the experience, um, is is a tricky one and, and yet unsolved. Um, I, I'm of the view that some dreams are more like imagination and some more like hallucination. Um, so um, my view of replaying a, a memory in a dream, the way we replay a memory when we're awake, or, or the way we remember when we're awake, is you're having a dream, something's happening in the dream. Say I'm sitting, sitting somewhere in a cafe, let's say, in a dream. Uh, I replay a memory while I'm still sitting in the cafe. So uh, I remember, oh, yeah, yesterday I was in a different cafe. You're, you're not necessarily transported into the new cafe. You're in one cafe and you're remembering being in another cafe. So that would be the classic case of replaying a memory. Uh, but that's not what people usually talk about when they talk about replaying a memory. They're talking about being brought back to a hallucination of the memory. Um so yeah, why does that sometimes happen? Why is it rare? Um usually um a, me- a dream is going to draw on resources uh, from memory. Um and it's it's hard to deny that you you dream about a tree. How do you know what a tree looks like? Well, you know what a tree looks like because you've seen a tree while you're awake. So your your dream represents a tree based on memories of what trees look like, right? So you are relying on memory sources for any dream. Um, but it's, it's, it's unknown if there is any function of dreaming at all. So if there's a specific function of, say, replaying, um, well, re re, hallucinating your, your memories, um, there, that is, is, is disagreed upon. Um, do dreams have a function? Very uh, hot debate. Um, that kind of comes in and out of popularity. <laughs>
0: Where do you stand on that debate?
2: I would say I'm in um, the spandrel category of dreaming. So an evolutionary spandrel is... So people... Um, I had this discussion with somebody um, a, a few weeks ago. Like So the view that there is no function. How is it possible that we have some kind of trait that has no function? Well, a lot of our traits are, well... At least some of our traits, you could say, um, are traits we have not because we have had, um, adapted, um, to have them or they've been selected for through evolution, but rather they're things that have kind of stuck around. We, you know, we, we evolve by having a mutation. A creature has a mutation and then that gives some kind of benefit that allows that, that creature to outcompete. Um, creatures that don't have that mutation, say. But there's a lot of mutations. A lot of them are terrible, and that creature will die. So you have the mutation, not a good one, the creature dies. Um, you have another mutation, and it's kind of a... Meh. No. Meh. It's, it's, ben- it's not a benefit. It's not a, you know, doesn't really matter. And it just sticks around. It doesn't get selected for, though. So some people in the population have that that um mutation, and some don't, and just kind of... So why would you have something that's not functional that everyone has? Because I said before, everyone dreams. How is it possible that it wasn't selected for, but everyone has it? If dreams are kind of meh, then they should, some people should dream and some people shouldn't. Well, a spandrel specifically is something that piggybacks on another adaptation. What is the adaptation the dream piggybacked on? Um, most likely another function of sleep. So REM sleep. There are certain functions that REM, uh, REM does uh, that generate dreams. There are certain functions that um, NREM does that generates a different type of dream. And the dreams are kind of generated by some kind of other processing, or they piggyback along these other, other um, things that do, do actually have a function. Because um, we, we still don't know exactly what what REM does either, but there's a lot of different functions. that We know that there's a lot of functions from sleep based on we know what happens when we don't sleep. Um, our cognition goes down the toilet, essentially. <laughs> so you get really dumb dream brain when you're awake. If Yeah, just remember the last time you missed out on one night of sleep. Um, if you miss out on a week of sleep, you can't function at all cognitively. Mm. So um, it's likely that, in, in my view, I, I haven't seen any good reason to think that something about the dream, like dream being a conscious experience of like some kind of narrative while we sleep that that aspect of REM itself is beneficial. Um, A lot of people disagree with that, of course, so it might be something to do with memory consolidation, so maybe going over um, some kind of, well, bizarre forms of memories, like rekindling aspects of memory from sleep helps consolidate, like, you know... um, um, store them in long-term memory. It might be to do with something with, uh, something to do with getting rid of unnecessary memories. We have a lot of experiences during the day, and a lot of them are irrelevant, so you want to flush out some of them. Maybe dreams do that. Um,
1: How about testing models? well?
2: Yes, so that's one that's coming up a lot in, in research. So um, whether we... Practice scenarios, threat simulation theory is is one example. There's a lot of different variations. Um, social simulation theory is another one. So we we get to practice things, and that makes us better at those things. Regarding threat simulation, you get chased by a bear, and you get to practice how to escape the bear. And then when you do get chased by a bear sometime, you're slightly more effective at not being eaten. So those who get all this extra ex- exercise in, you know, not, you know, overcoming bear and being chased by a bear are slightly uh, more Seems likely like to survive.
0: There's a lot of very useless simulations happening yeah, too. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> it doesn't seem uh, very well adapted, right? I mean, oh. but uh, I mean, if you, if you think, well, um, dreams simulate a bunch of stuff, and th- the only way for them to be effective would be to, like, simulate a lot of different things, because who knows what's gonna happen. We're pro- I'm probably never gonna be chased by a bear, although the chance of that has increased a lot since I've moved to Canada, <laughs> and I do a lot of hiking. Um, but you, you simulate. So maybe it's just simulating stuff, like, simulating social circumstances. I, um, in, I'm in situations in which I talk to people, and I, I practice um, responding. You might say that's problematic because the saying practice makes perfect is actually perfect practice makes perfect. So if I'm dreaming um that I'm responding really well to you, but you the dream you respond, you know, I need to be able to simulate how you respond to me and whether I say like if I'm like um oh I'm going to you know I re- I I like I know uh, Savannah really gets amused by when I make fart sounds. So I, you know, start to make some, some, some silly noises. And in the dream, she finds it so funny and I'm like, okay, well, success. I have practiced, you know, how to make Savannah laugh. And then I come to the office and I'm like, Hey, Savannah, make some, some funny noises and she is not amused. Well, a little amused. And so my dream practice was actually not beneficial. I learned the wrong thing from it. So the simulation has to be really accurate for me to benefit from it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like it, it, there has been some evidence to show that we do improve doing, um, let's say, physical activities. A little bit at least. Some evidence. This, is, this isn't like knockdown evidence yet because often with um, dream research, um, there's a lot of preliminary research with quite small samples. And it's difficult to get large samples of people to do research like this. Um, but you get people to learn how to lucid dream and play darts. Um, and then you see if they've improved at darts in 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 their real life, and they have improved a little bit. So um, it seems like you can improve by dreaming. You can also improve by imagining things. So if you imagine playing darts, that will improve your ability to play darts as well. So is that um, a function, a potential function? Yes. Is it an evolutionary adaptation? Less likely. Oh. Did was For it to be an evolutionary adaptation, it means that our ancestors, like common ancestors, right? Because I believe um, most uh, mammals, it's believed that most mammals dream... Some people. They
0: have sleep faces.
2: Yeah, that, 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 there's some evidence that mice can dream, whether, whether it's just, um, like complex REM with no conscious experience. Uh, but let's assume that even something as simple as a mouse can dream. So a common ancestor, um, must have outcompeted a non-dreaming version, um, uh, of, of that ancestor. To the extent that all of these creatures dream, to me it seems more plausible that the dreams have piggybacked on something very beneficial, like REM sleep. The debate uh, goes on, and it's really unclear exactly how the debate debate would be solved because there's a lot of different possible uh, functions that uh, you know. There's a lot of papers on different function potential functions yeah. of dreams. How would you work out? If there, if it's real or if this one is more plausible than the other, uh, it's, it's difficult. Yeah.
0: I'd like to get back on the relationship between memory and sleep. So earlier you mentioned that there's this sort of sweet spot. You're more likely to remember something you've done during the week. It happens often enough to me that it's significant and I remember, and those dreams are usually pretty powerful, I remember a person that I have not thought of, hmm. or a place that I have not thought of for years. And it pops up in my dreams. And i have sort of reminded of their existence. Oh, that's where I used to live. And then it just stays with me over the day or maybe a couple of days. Hmm. So this seems to be this sort of bringing back things that otherwise might be lost.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, I've experienced that as well. And I think there's a lot of individual difference there. So I tend to, well, there's always the the problem of what do you remember and what do you forget in in dreams. So we don't, none of us here have a good selection of our dream life. We we only, unless you've been in an experiment, which I, I actually haven't, you only remember those those things that, that that stick in your memory after you've woken up. So there's all that bias towards bizarreness and so on. Um, but I get the impression I'm more likely to dream about somebody I don't have regular interaction with. So, you know, my partner, for example, who I interact with on a daily basis, I tend to not dream about as much as I would expect, given the amount of interaction I, I have have with him. But, yeah, something like... I remember our childhood friend who I haven't seen since I was five or, or, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. So what would explain that? You could say that this kind of unusual activation that's occurring, this, like I, was, I said, random before. Random is not really accurate. Just
0: but, not understood.
2: Yeah. Weird activation, like, um, un, you know, hyperactivation of sensory areas. Sometimes, you know, uh, you know, reduced and then like heightened memory activation um might generate some kind of um you know unusual um memory that pops up um, but that can happen when you're awake as well you're just sitting there and you think oh haven't thought about bob in a while so what is what is remembering sometimes we have this intentional memory where we think hmm i have to remember or i want to remember something you know, you might just want to remember something pleasant. What happened that time I was at the party? What happened next? And it's nice to reminisce. So you you intentionally bring back your your memories to to consciousness. Sometimes things just pop into your head. Oh, I have to remember this. And it pops up and you remember what you have to do tomorrow. That can happen when you're, when you're awake as well. Um, it just seems much more unusual when we're dreaming because, as I said, you're drawing on the memory resources, but then you're hallucinating the, the thing. So person you haven't seen since you were a child, then you hallucinate that you've, you're seeing them. Is it the child that you see? Is it them but grown up? Some, sometimes it seems like, oh, there's these weird things that happen in dreams, like you, you know, this unusual thing that I haven't thought about ages ago pops up. But when you think, oh, what actually happens when we're awake? What kind of things pop into our minds? What do we do when we're uh, mind wandering? All sorts of bizarre things can happen when you're mind wandering. The most interesting thing to me is, given that they happen, what does this tell us about human minds? What can minds do is an interesting thing we learned from dreams, um, can the mind create a virtual reality while you're mostly shut off from the world? So, stereotypically, the dream is happening all generated in your own head, and everything is generated there. Uh, but what, what often, often happens is, happens is we do feel some sensations from the, the body that kind of, I call them a infiltrate, a sensory infiltration. Um, so, you know, someone squeezes your arm and you feel it while you're dreaming. So infiltration can happen. But other than that, most of what's generated is from within your, your, your brain, within your mind. Um, what can the, the, the brain do? Um, so this, this idea about a person can be generated. Your brain can generate a shortly lived identity, depending on what your theory of identity is. If you have a theory of identity that has to persist over time, then maybe that you, we shouldn't call that an identity, whatever. But can the brain generate a realistic virtual reality? Some people think no, it's not actually a, a realistic virtual reality. It's like more like imagination, that kind of thing.
1: So we've been uh, discussing a lot about stupid brains, smart brains, um, juicy takeaways from discussions on dreams. What would you like people to take away from this episode?
2: Oh, the dreams are um, more interesting than the kind of boring stories people tell you about their own personal dreams. So we all have the experience of, there's this one friend that wants to tell me about their dreams. Oh. <laughs> but even if you find dream reports boring, oh, another flying pig, the implications of dreaming themselves are, are very interesting in terms of philosophy. Um, science of dreaming is very interesting. There's all sorts of things we can learn about about minds and brains and hu- humans from studying them um, and that um, they're not just cognitive trash. We can still learn a lot from them and what they tell us about our minds.
0: Last question. If in my dream, there is a little Harrison Ford that pops up, and then I dream of the same Harrison Ford again in another dream, following your idea that we generate identities and short-lived characters, is that the same Harrison Ford?
2: Well, (laughs) so is Harrison Ford conscious? Sorry, Sorry, Harrison Ford, if you're listening. I'm sure you're conscious. I mean, dream Harrison Ford. Is Harrison Ford the one experiencing the dream? It happens. Okay. So you could be dreaming about interacting with Harrison Ford. Presumably, Harrison Ford himself is not conscious.
0: So the characters that we interact with would not be identities. No. But
2: Presumably, yeah. Protagonist. would. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if you hallucinate a little green man, you know, going, oh, hello. <laughs> That's how... Little green men speak, um, presumably that doesn 't generate um, a conscious being; you just generate the visual yeah you hallucinating vision of a of a creature. If those creatures are conscious, but the uh, the memory only is from the perspective of one conscious entity that 's too wacky, even for me. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so so if you have a dream in which Harrison Ford is doing a well, he's whatever a one of his characters is doing a bunch of
0: um, no no Harrison okay, Ford, Harrison Ford is
2: sitting in a cafe, <laughs> whatever he does when he's um, not making a movie, and then you have another dream in which you are again Harrison Ford. Is that the same Harrison Ford in terms of like uh, memory theory, you know, um, continuity theory of personal identity? If Harrison Ford remembers Harrison Ford, you know, Harrison Ford in Dream 1 is remembered by Harrison Ford in Dream 2, then that could be the same Harrison Ford.
1: So if he says, good to see you again, I know there's some continuity effects. But, but he has
2: to
0: be the
1: protagonist.
2: Arno would have to be um, uh, not the protagonist. So this is getting yeah. into a really weirdo dream where Harrison Ford is dreaming about you. <laughs> um, talking to him. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, yeah, potentially. So so the only way you can save poor Harrison is to try to have a dream about being him again. Otherwise, he's gone forever.
1: Thank you so, so much, Mel. <laughs> this has been a joy. I'm still <laughs> giggling and trying to hold my breath though, so I don't make uh, additional sounds on the microphone. <laughs> um, we will link kind of all the papers and things we discussed in the show notes for this episode and we will also plug your TED Talk that you did a while ago at TEDxAwhus yeah. where you talk a bit more also about what sleep and dream can do you to have empathy with people <laughs> with delusions um, But thank well, you I, have you. A,
2: I have a paper on that now Ooh. from this year um, International
1: Journal of uh, Dream Research if you want to check it out. So we connect that as well so you can either watch the TED Talk and then dig deeper into the paper. But, mm. uh, thank you so incredible much.
0: Thank you so much
2: Thank you guys, that was fun
1: This podcast is edited and produced by Kirsi Tilk, Anouk Bentin Vermier, and Savannah Scholz. Music by Simon Kark. The podcast is funded by the Interacting Mind Center Seed Funding Grant. Visit the Interacting Mind Center website to gain access to show notes and further information at interactingminds.au.dk.